watchers in the fourth dimension. Don't make a sound. Don't even breathe. Just listen. Hello, darling. Well, hello, darling. Down. 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 Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Watchers in the Fourth Dimension. I'm Anthony. I'm Julie. And I'm Riley. And this episode, we will be talking about Doctor Who and the Pescatons, the 1976 audio release that came out between seasons 13 and 14. But before we get into talking about it, a few brief behind-the-scenes notes. Firstly, this story was written by Victor Pemberton, who we previously know from writing Fury from the Deep, as well as his very brief time as script editor between The Evil of the Daleks and The Ice Warriors, although he was only credited for The Tomb of the Cybermen. Producing the story was Don Norman, who I haven't been able to find a single other credit for, so if anyone listening knows anything about him, please do write in. Both Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen reprised their roles as the Fourth Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith, while Bill Mitchell joined them to play Zor. Born in Canada, Mitchell's career highlight seems to have been as a truck driver in 1984's critically panned Supergirl, (laughs) although UK listeners may also know him as the reporter in 27 episodes of Supergran. (laughs) There's a theme there. Yes. (laughs) The story itself is unusual for several reasons. Firstly, the Doctor tells it from a first-person perspective, which is definitely a little bit jarring for those of us used to the full-cast audios that Big Finish have been producing for us since 1999. It's also unusual for the Doctor and Sarah, who effectively commit genocide without a single ounce of remorse. But I'm sure we'll get back into that in a bit, which is a great segue, by the way, for us to start talking about this shit show. (laughs) <laughs> Am I laying my cards on the table a little too uh, yeah. <laughs> too obviously here? Just a bit. Oh boy. I'm not going to come out and defend it completely, but I will say this is a straight up campfire ghost story. And I dig that part of it in that first person narration. It gives you that feel. And I realize it is not good, <laughs> but it is fun. I thought it was fun. My problem was that it went from this narration to random decisions on where they were going to have it be a live rendition with Sarah Jane and then go back to this narration. There were a few instances where I was like, that's an interesting choice. Yeah, I would agree with you on that, Julie. I did notice that it seemed to take, I think, a fair amount of influence from various audio versions of The War of the Worlds through the years. Mm. It definitely had that kind of vibe to me at times. You can absolutely see that, especially the descriptions that he provides of the massacres that occur, just like War of the Worlds. And I would say it's both the Orson Welles version and Jeff Wayne's musical version, which I'm not entirely sure if it was out by this time. There was a musical version of War of the Worlds? Oh, Jeff Wayne's musical version of the War of the Worlds is fucking amazing. Wow. Okay. I've learned something today. It was great, although it hadn't yet come out. It came out in 1978, so it was still two years away. So maybe that took some inspiration from this. Doubtful. (laughs) I was just going to mention, because Anthony, you and I have listened to a good amount of Big Finish, and Riley, you've caught on to a few of them, the soundscape isn't as good. Oh, yeah. Which is fair. I mean, this was made seemingly as a one-off in 1976, 23 years before Big Finish came along. So I get it. It's a product of its time, but it is jarring. Really jarring. It's not 
poor in that department. It's just Mm-mm. not up to the excellent, excellent levels of big finish. And obviously, product of its time, a lot of synth-ish type things. And then the other problem that I had was just the amount of screaming <laughs> Yeah, that happened. I just want to touch on the synth, Julie. That really was what drew a comparison for me to Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War mm. of the Worlds, because that is fairly synth-heavy in a really kind of cool, proggy kind of way. And I was like, oh, are they trying to emulate that? No. And again, no, two years too early. Well, it feels like to me that the music in this kind of was on target for the music that was going on on the show at the time. Yeah. And that makes it work to me. It really does feel like the show at the time, other, of course, than the weird narration. But, you know, if you're going to have anyone narrate something, Tom Baker is an excellent choice because he can narrate the hell out of anything. (laughs) Well, the thing is, is that it's so nice. But the problem is I could go to sleep just listening to the voice Mm -hmm. and that's another problem it's a pro and a con he has a great voice but oh it's so soothing (laughs) let's get into some of these story elements because i feel like Mm -hmm. with a lot of it victor pemberton specifically has taken us there before oh yeah i mean when you just said that he was the writer from fury from the deep (laughs) bingo i mean it really does feel like he's just rehashing something similar to that and for some reason maybe it was all the people running around screaming all the time in terror it reminded me of this really hilarious exploitation horror movie by roger corman from 1980 called humanoids from the deep don't know if you're familiar (laughs) with it but that was the description of the pescaton seems to fit i think it's safe to say that victor pemberton loves a bit of weed Since that was a key plot point in both. And mysterious heartbeats and destroying or saving the day through sound. Yeah. I also found it interesting. There were some, I don't know if you call it narrative choices or just how they wanted to lay things out, but the number of times that they repeated words like down, down, down. Oh. Narrower, narrower. And I'm just like, wow, we're going to just repeat things three times. All right. I think that comes from, I I noticed that as well. They did the down, down, down two times at least. Mm -hmm. That just feels once again, storytelling technique that you would have from like a ghost story or a campfire story. And I think that's what they were trying to go for with that. I agree. And then if that's the case, take Elizabeth Sladen out of it entirely and just do it as a story. Yeah. I would have preferred that, I think. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. But, you know, I think it's clearly to add some emphasis, emphasis, emphasis. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I did enjoy about this is the fact that we got to hear their voices as we're used to in the show. Oftentimes with Big Finish, we get older versions of them. They don't quite oh, sound the same. Yeah. Or we get in the one episode with Elizabeth Sladen's daughter did the voice of Sarah Jane. So it's definitely nice to just hear them as they are. Absolutely. Agree completely. We're a little way off. When we get to Big Finish and we end up doing something from the 8th Doctor, if we ever do something early 8th Doctor, because Paul McGann started recording with them in 2001 and the TV movie was in 1996, he genuinely does sound exactly the same in those early ones versus now listening to Tom Baker age like Hmm. 85. (laughs) He's going to sound differently to how he did when he was 40. Absolutely. All right. But actual plot... (laughs) Yeah, let's get into it. Make it stop. (laughs) We haven't even started. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) 
we get to a planet, there's metal seaweed because that makes sense. I'm still trying to picture that in my head and I don't quite understand. But then there's these other creatures and there's growling and I'm just, what are these creatures actually supposed to be? Yeah, I mean, the description of them at times is a little all over the place. And I got the impression that the seaweed was something other than the Pescasons, maybe like some other creature that's actually on their planet. Not very well explained, but okay. And maybe they were just a part of some sort of early evolutionary beginning for the Pescatons, I guess. I don't know. When I picture the Pescatons, I picture, and this is what happens when you you know are growing up in the 90s, I picture the street sharks. I don't know if you remember this whole <laughs> yes. animated thing. I kind of imagine them looking like that. So it was kind of funny to imagine them running around the zoo, gobbling people up, looking like that. You could also just picture left shark or right shark and <laughs> go from there. <laughs> that would have been more amusing. Yeah, that's good. You're welcome. And then they realize, please tell me if I'm incorrect, that they actually are on Earth because this is the beginning of an invasion. Yet another invasion. Oh, it's not just another invasion. It's an invasion with alien seaweed, mind control, the doctor playing a recorder again. Piccolo. I'm sorry, a piccolo is different from a recorder. I will. Yes, it is a woodwind, but it is different. Okay, I feel like I've been told. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, everyone. As a flute and piccolo player, I know the difference. You're welcome. Isn't one just smaller than the other? From flute piccolo, yes, but a recorder is different because it's not even the same head joint that you use. But we digress. Okay, so piccolo is like a small flute. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, I get it now. Yes. Anyway, we get a woodwind again, which I sat there and I was like, at any point, does Tom Baker's doctor ever play the piccolo? Because he said, I play it whenever I'm nervous. Well, I've never seen you play it. Okay. I think Victor Pemberton clearly wrote this with Patrick Troughton in mind, even though Patrick Troughton had not been the Doctor for quite some time at this point. I could see that. I believe we may have skipped over Zor, if we're already talking about the Piccolo. Okay, that was Anthony's fault. Yeah, I just got on a rant because this story annoys me. Yes. (laughs) I did want to talk to a few moments that I did like, and when the Doctor's going down into the water and swimming around, loses his... Wait, wait, where is he going in the water? Down? In the... Down. Down, 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 down in the water? <laughs> down in water. And he loses his torch, and as Riley was mentioning, the descriptions of all these dead bodies and skeletons and everything, I enjoyed that part, but that's the part that I enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> the one part. <laughs> the one part. I also found it rude that... Obviously, this is a product of its time, and so currently in today's society, we don't hate on sharks as much as we used to, and we have our shark week, and we're like, hey, stop being terrible to sharks, but they seem to be attacking sharks in this. (laughs) (laughs) Just FYI. And this is before Jaws even came out. Yeah. (laughs) I'm neutral on sharks in general. Likewise. You can publish that. I will make that statement. I'll make that claim. My favorite part of it, as if we're talking about our one favorite part, despite all the screaming, I did enjoy the zoo chaos, the zoo attack, how it was described. Mm -hmm. It just sounded nice and horrific and terrible (laughs) and absolutely impossible. (laughs) I 
keep trying to imagine on any era of the show how that would have been filmed. And I don't think any era of the show could have really done it. Because it would have been just too horrific. And if they like dumb it down or not dumb it down, they clean it up and make it less gory, it would just look really silly. It looked like Hungry Hungry Hippos or something. There's a big Finnish story I truly love called The Holy Terror. And when RTD first brought the show back, there were a few stories that were effectively adapted direct from big Finnish stories. And unfortunately, The Holy Terror, while it's one of my favorite, is one that they could never actually transpose to TV for that exact reason. It is far too horrific. It's a total bloodbath. It's amazing on audio, <laughs> but they could never film it. Now can we talk about Zor? Yes, let's talk about the Canadian alien. Well, <laughs> Canadian alien. <laughs> the voice effect on Zor, I enjoyed. It did sound ominous and evil, but also with that little kind of watery bubble to it, that blah, 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 blah. He reminded me of Kukulian from a voice perspective, not anything else, just a voice. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, with a Canadian accent, I really couldn't take him seriously. I'm sorry. <laughs> And I don't mean that in like an offensive way. I, he just, I think the Canadian accent sounds really friendly. <laughs> <laughs> and so even though they processed it, I just heard this accent I associate with people who are friendly. And I couldn't quite take that seriously. I've had firsthand experience, but I will not digress into that. But I see where you're coming from. I don't know if it necessarily came across to me as that friendly, but I can see it. Definitely what he's saying isn't friendly, but the accent, mm -hmm. to me, I just associate with someone who's kind of friendly. <laughs> now I'm done stereotyping the entire people of Canada. All right, <laughs> let's move on. We've made our statements about sharks and Canadians. Yes. Next, I'm going to talk about, can you believe the poor kitties not getting their fishies? It was so <laughs> sad. I think I tuned out by that point. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I listened to everything. You're welcome. I listened to the interview at the end because I always do. I actually got more interested in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was interesting when they were talking about all the different people and things that were affected. The cats didn't get their fish and something else didn't get something. I don't know. I didn't care as much because they weren't cats. But what I also found frustrating and the doctor and Sarah Jane were having this conversation about Sarah was asking, like, why haven't we figured out how to destroy them? And the doctor was like, well, this, this, this. And she like references we and he's like, don't let me in with these humans. And I'm like, well, it's not like you came up with a way to defeat them either. <laughs> OK, doctor, don't get touchy as we wanted to use touchy so much. <laughs> While you've brought it up. How did you feel the chemistry was with them in this recording compared to how they are on the show? Obviously, the physical acting makes it easier to show warmth and a friendliness. Still think it works somewhat well, but they also felt kind of distant from each other and how they're recorded in this. And that's one thing I'm not sure on was how they recorded it. Did they get in the studio together? When you listen to the interviews, it's pretty clear. Elizabeth Sladen was like, I have no idea how long Tom was in studio for. So I'm pretty sure they were separated. I yeah. guess I was half listening to the interviews, I'll admit. <laughs> You're welcome. I was working while listening to this. <laughs> well... As we move the plot along, we have our break between the two episodes, if you want to call it that, or just one long episode. The invasion starts dropping, <laughs> so to speak. Yes, dropping is a... right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we move a little bit forward, and things are not looking well because of the invasion. And I just have to come out and say it. 
what the hell is wrong with that baby? That doesn't sound like a baby. It sounded yeah. like a at cat. All. It sounds like a cat. Exactly. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. It was disturbing. It was getting to levels of me feeling very unsettled by it, like Uncanny Valley. Like sometimes it kind of sounds babyish, but other times it is totally not. Just burn it with fire. <laughs> I've given them a lot of credit. I think they've done a decent job for this, that non-Big Finish production, but... For something as simple as a baby crying, they couldn't get that worked out well to come up with something like that. Well, we have these shark-human hybrids. Why not we have a cat-baby hybrid? (laughs) Fine. Oh, God. Make it stop. (laughs) Oh, boy. Which, speaking of loud, high-pitched noises, that's our solution. And Sarah Jane comes up with it. She's the one that discovers it as the doctor is on his piccolo. Sarah Jane or Victoria? (laughs) (laughs) and then we just start ripping them to shreds with the piccolo (laughs) i'm just really sad that for zor they were like the piccolo is not going to be enough and there was a part of me that was like yeah but it would be so cool if the doctor were just like danced around him with a piccolo and that's what destroyed (laughs) zor i would have enjoyed that so much more oh my god and we totally missed that part (laughs) this song and dance distraction oh my god That would be the most Julie end to a story ever. (laughs) The musical number. Musical number. Actually, I think for this one, I would channel like the inner Jethro Tull in Ian Anderson. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If you're going to go, you might as well go in style. Yeah. So you got to get your Ian Anderson going on. Did you know that despite how absolutely crazed he looked, he never took drugs? As your fun Ian Anderson fact for the episode, dear listener. He also has no idea what the correct fingerings are for the flute because he just taught himself. <laughs> fact. Anyway. Well, we are full of education on Jethro Tull in this episode. <laughs> Welcome to the Jethro Tull cast. Listen to the Christmas album. I promise. Well, back to Doctor Who. <laughs> Sorry. That enemy was noise, high-pitched noise. And now we lure Zor into some sort of contraption to kill him. What was weird in the narrative is we talk about the high-pitched noise, and then we immediately switch to talk about just destroying Zor. And it takes them two minutes to actually get to how the whole thing like meshes together. It was just a weird decision because it's like oh hey this noise oh hey this noise oh hey this noise pause in the narration then and now we have to destroy zor okay okay (laughs) you could have tied that better together but all right it's fine it's fine while i did enjoy the cliche of it all when zor says we meet again doctor for the last time (laughs) i couldn't help but think of the space balls line of at last we meet for the first time For the last time. (laughs) (laughs) There's a whole comedy sketch that Mark Gatiss did in 1999 that has Matt Lucas in it, I think, and David Walliams. And Mark Gatiss lands on a planet and they kind of sidle up to him and he goes, Ah, we meet at last, Doctor! And, you know, high pitch, like not particularly menacing. And he goes through a variety of voices until he goes, Doctor! And... Mark Gates is kind of at that point shivers and he goes, ah, oh, yes, you fear me now, doctor. <laughs> and I was kind of expecting, we meet again, doctor. 
tour, but it wasn't played that way, and I was deeply disappointed. <laughs> the other thing I find frustrating with this section, because I found a lot of things frustrating. So the doctor had met Zora before, knew about this whole mind control thing. And oh. yet, what does he do? <laughs> he looks in his eyes. <sighs> doctor, you're smarter than this. Had to add at least another level of suspense instead of just... Which I thought the suspense was enough to try to lure him in. He didn't need the extra element of can you, def- you know, get past the mind control. But, you know, at least he didn't, at the end, once Zor was defeated, narrate and say, I said, Zor? Huh. Good God, y'all. What is he good for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You should be ashamed of yourself, sir. I had to do it. I had to do it. I couldn't resist. One lucky thing is that as I was listening to this, Luckily, Rumble was outside, so he couldn't get concerned about the noise. That's good. We wouldn't want to have a concerned Rumble. No, 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 no. (laughs) Never. And somehow all that was left was the vertebra. Yeah. I am questioning how that works, but okay. I think you can just put it down to this not being particularly well thought out. (laughs) Maybe based... On an early draft of Fury from the Deep? I don't know. Yeah, that's highly possible. (laughs) (sighs) All right. We've talked about the plot. We've talked about the production. Let's rate this, because why not? And just for shits and giggles, I'll go first. There's an entire subset of fandom who seem to quite like this. And... They tend to be older, and I truly believe because in the 70s, there was not a lot of Doctor Who that you could experience outside of its original broadcast. You had the novels that you could read, and those early novels tend to be stories that are now quite well thought of. And you had this, which you could buy on vinyl or on cassette. And it actually had the voices of Tom Baker and Elizabeth Layden, which was an experience you couldn't have otherwise for anything else. So... I think there's some nostalgia around this. I, however, grew up in the 90s and 2000s. (laughs) And I think I first experienced this in the 2000s. And having had things like Pyramids of Mars on VHS to enjoy time and time again, I kind of just thought, oh, well, this is a bit disappointing. And I have to say, in listening to it again, I find it even more so because now I'm listening to it with a more critical eye than when I was a teenager, or critical ear, I should say. And I am realizing how much Victor Pemberton plagiarised himself, (laughs) how there's precisely zero care for the characterization of Tom Baker's Doctor or for Sarah Jane Smith. And then there's this narrative style that's all over the place. So this one is just not for me. And I think I'm going to give it three lumps of metallic seaweed out of ten. Wow, for once, nostalgia didn't up the points. (laughs) There are plenty of Doctor Who stories that I have a lot of nostalgia for, but this one wasn't one that I thought was particularly good at the time when I first heard it, and I still don't think it's particularly good. So, Julie, why don't you go next? All right. I'm pretty sure everyone can tell that I wasn't super thrilled about it. I think there were a couple of sections that had promise, and if they went full-on campfire story, didn't change up this narrative, and didn't quite plagiarize itself, I think it would have been a lot better. But guess what? That's not what they did. I don't like the soundscapes as much as I do with the big finish. I did not like the screaming, although at times it was effective. And dear God, that baby. (coughs) So I am also giving it 
three piccolos, but not recorders, out of ten. Heaven forbid you should say recorders. Riley, let's hear your thoughts. <laughs> well, I agree. This is not very good. Not up to our current standards. But it is fun, and I did enjoy the ghost story kind of narration feel to it all. It is rehash. You're right about the characterization. That was off. We've talked about that more. But, you know, it is rather fun. And it probably goes up two points automatically because of Tom Baker's narration. He's just really good at it. If I can't imagine the story being done by anybody else with the narration, it would have just been really bad. I was going to give it a four, but since it is really, really short, I'll give it a four and a half. (laughs) And that is four and a half hybrid cat babies out of 10. Nice. Well, unusually for me, I didn't aggregate these and average them out. Candidly, I just don't care enough about this one to do that. So you can figure that out for yourself. Yeah, they have a calculator. They can do it themselves. This one just existed, and I'm glad (laughs) to be done with it, to be honest. (laughs) Well, firstly, it's been a long time since we've really talked about Doctor Who, but um, it's been a long time since I've had this much anger towards anything Doctor Who. (laughs) I mean, I wasn't angry at it. I was more disappointed. I always hated it when my mom said that to me. Uh, All right, guys, we're having a lot of fun here, as you can tell. We're having more fun bantering with each other than we did listening to this. That is true. That is true. With that, we're going to wrap this one up. It has been a blast to talk about Doctor Who. And um, just so anyone knows, while there have probably been a couple of episodes out, this is the first time we've got together to record about Doctor Who since Don passed. So this is a big milestone for us. And this has been a lot of fun. I think I can speak for all three of us when I say we've missed this. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Yes. So we'll be back with more Doctor Who. I think the next episode we do, we'll haven't quite figured out the timing yet. It will either be the season 13 retrospective or it will be the season 14 opener. But do tune in, listen to us talk about those. We'd love to have you with us again. And in the meantime, as always, thank you so much for listening and have a good one. You have been listening to Watchers in the Fourth Dimension with Julie Filipek, Riley Schreck, and myself, Anthony Williams. This bonus episode, The Canadian Alien, was recorded on Thursday the 29th of June 2023. If this is your first time listening in, all of our previous episodes are available through your favourite podcasting app. You can interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at at Watchers4D, and you can also email us at Watchers4D at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do subscribe and leave us a review or rating on your favorite podcasting app. All of those things really do help the show. And always remember, patience is a virtue. The average score for this ended up being three and a half.